Ryan Petrick is now joining us as the WNBL Coach of the Year. Ryan, welcome to the Drill Podcast and congratulations. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. Now, it's an amazing achievement. What has it meant to you to, to learn that? Uh, more, um, well, not embarrassing, embarrassing is not the right word, but more um, very humbling. Um, as I said in the um, exceptional speech I did, um, I was able to spend five years as Andy's assistant, um, and my number one job whilst I was there was scout the opposition. So obviously I've done that and had to code three games a week every week for five years, but spent a boatload of time watching those coaches uh, and why they did it the way they did it and just learning as much as I can and picking their brains and picking their brains off the court and on the phone and to have the award voted for by those people that you've been going against and scouting and watching for seven years now. Um, very, very humbling. Um, yeah, just <laughs> it's been a crazy week, as you know, um, but humbling is the number one word I'd use. So coaching is a lot more than X and o, X's and O's a lot of the time, and I reckon this year more than any other time it's, it's been that. Um, you've had to be a mentor, probably a psychologist, probably a father figure. Like what? How big has the challenge been? Uh, yeah, it's been immense. I said it uh, to someone yesterday, it's certainly not something I would wish on any coach to have to go through. And obviously we, we know why it's happened the way it's happened. Um, but I mean, like Brad said, uh, Brad Robbins, like if you can get through this, you can get through any year. Uh, it's just been insane. Uh, and people from the outside, I mean, obviously no one knows exactly what's going on from the outside, but people on the outside think it's been hard. It's been 30 times harder than that again. So you've kind of had to wear 8 million different hats, it's felt like, um, and then find a way to somehow play a game of basketball along the way. So it's yeah, certainly very, very challenging. Um, and as I said, if you can get through this year, you can kind of get through everything is the theory. So it was really cool watching you after the semifinal win against Campbell. You, you had your baby there with you and you're not allowed to start crying or anything like that, but you've had your own personal challenges while the rest of the group have been dealing with theirs. How hard has it been for you to just be a coach in these situations? Uh, yeah, no, not, uh, not easy. Uh, and again, the girls have had it just as bad as I have. So I'm certainly not alone. Um, very, very thankful that I've got a wife in Chelsea that somehow has let me basically live the last two seasons on the road. Um, obviously, last year she was heavily pregnant, and I just, as we we're building a house, and I just kind of left for Great North, uh, Far North Queensland for a month and a half. And then this year, cool, see, you, I'm going to Ballarat, uh, I, and I don't know when I'll see you again, as Jade is just starting to walk around the house. So uh, it's been it's been challenging. Um, and then even then you get back. Uh, so th this week's a great example. Um, got back, uh, saw Jada for the first time this morning. Uh, we'll see her again in the next half hour. And then I'll go back to work and by the time I come home, she's asleep and we're back on the plane again to go play in Melbourne tomorrow. So it's been crazy and I've got a lot of catching up to do um, with family, but super supportive wife that uh, I just, the split second she says, Ryan, you need to get your backside home. I would be. But she just keeps telling me, like, you just stay on the road and do what you've got to do. And they'll be there when I get home. So you're a coaching veteran in some ways, in most ways, actually, I reckon. Um, but, but except for the WNBL head coaching position is the only place where you're, you're not experienced. You're experienced in every other way. Um, so in everything you've gone through in, in the past, did anything prepare you for losing Sammy Wickham and Maddie Allen last year? And now, and then spending the whole season in Queensland, and now this season in Ballarat. Like, could you have prepared for it in any way? Uh, no, but well, clearly not. Um, it's funny. Like we laughed last year, saying this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to like go and play a season on the road. 
and then the very next season we had to do it again. So it's been uh, it's been different. Um, the only bit of experience I had was I was a Wildcats development assistant coach um, with Rob Beveridge, um, and again, like just learning and learning and learning on the side more than anything else. And they kept running into New Zealand, and they kept having Damian Martin go down injured um, for that matchup against uh, CJ Jackson. So, and I remember speaking to Bevo about it, I was like, mate, well, this sucks. Like, what's going on? And he said at some point along the line, and I don't remember the exact words you used, but he, he said, like, um, if you're going to coach basketball for a long time, you need to be used to, like, not having the best circumstance. Like, you need to be used to not having your best team available, a bad draw, a bad fixture, a bad whatever. Like, it's really sunshines and ra- sunshine and rainbows. Um, so, just always trying to prepare for the worst. We've had the worst now for two straight years. So... No one's died. We're still alive. People have got it way worse than us. Um, just survive in advance. Just keep moving on. That's all we've tried to do. And now you're through to a grand final, which is the ultimate reward that you can get to for your season, apart from the fact if you win, that is the genuine reward sure. for your season. How um, yep. did you find out? Uh, so obviously we'd, we'd gone back and forth with our GM trying to find out what the heck was going on. Like, as we said early on, we're trying to work out how game two was in Canberra in a two-game series when FIBA rules are, you know, if if, if a game gets, if a series gets reduced at two games, the second game is always in the higher-ranked seeds court for home court advantage, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to work out how that all worked. And then um, when the league suggested that, um, yeah, there's a chance like Canberra can't go because the season needs to get done. We need to be done by April 14, 15, whatever it is. Um, so can we get this season done? Uh, and then can we get the semifinals done by a certain date? And therefore, we've got to play early next week. And there's Canberra have got eight players in COVID situations. So how's that going to work? We found out yesterday morning and we've been coding film ever since. So it's, it's a really unique situation because – the Canberra players have gone bananas on social media, uh, attacking it. And today they've gone through and tried to tone that down a little bit, saying they're not attacking any club individually. Um, have you had many discussions with Paul Goris or anyone at Canberra? Or what has it impacted relationships? Uh, zero um, is the answer there. Um, a little bit frustrated on so again the days are just a blur. Now we play. We're meant to play on Saturday or Sunday. Sunday, Sunday it was. Yeah. Sunday, that's right, Sunday. So I actually don't know, it's Wednesday today. Uh, we're going to play on Sunday. Uh, the first we'd heard about um, the Cameron players getting sick was via their coach to our players. So why, why is their coaching staff messaging our players on a game day? Um, like I would, it's just something I wouldn't do. So the whole, and again, it's been a different situation. I'm sure they were trying to do the right thing, but certainly how we were finding out in the first place wasn't ideal. Um, like, Again, a head coach should never be messaging an opposition player on a game day. Um, that's how we first found out about it. Um, and then the Canberra players blowing up and getting excited. As our players have said multiple times now, um, we're, we were the higher-ranked team. We were up 2-1 in the regular season. The two times they were fully healthy, we beat them by 54 points combined or whatever the number was. Um, we're the high-ranked team and we're up 1-0 in the playoffs. And in a best of three, you've got to beat Perth at Perth at some point of which that didn't happen. So you can get excited and jump on social media and complain all you want. Like, I'm not sure what the Perth Lynx were meant to do to help Canberra. It absolutely sucks that they got COVID. No one's arguing that at all. But how any of that was the Perth Lynx fault, I've got no idea. 
Interestingly, as you said, you, you had beaten them three times in four games. The cumulative score yeah. across those games was 361 to 315. The one loss came during your fourth game in eight days and they'd had a full week yeah. off to prepare. So you would have gone in, I would have thought, pretty confident that you that you had their measure at that point, wouldn't you? 100%. Yeah. And, I, and again, <clears throat> we lost that game when they played in Perth. Absolutely. They were really good. Um, but as I said, we, we, we lost virtually no sleep over it because the two times we'd had adequate rest and played them on a level playing field, we'd beat them by 20 and by 30 or whatever the exact numbers were. So we all, and again, every team's confident in the finals. We're not trying to be arrogant. But again, the season season score would suggest that we had the reason to be optimistic about our chances of winning. And that certainly didn't change after game one. So one of the things that's really shocked me in the past couple of days as the social media stuff's been coming is you go through all their accounts and uh, as they start to release things. And Abby Cabillo's Instagram has her eating out in Richmond, in Port Melbourne, and we hear that they were in Scarborough while they were over here as well. I would imagine that's the worst thing anyone could do from a professional athlete point of view at the moment. What's your message to your players to in, for this week to avoid any chance of getting COVID? Yeah, so that was so that's happened a few times, and we've been lucky. Well, we've been lucky that we've seen the examples of other clubs and what not to do. So certainly, we were all stuck in Ballarat, uh, and when the, the league got shut down early January. And we were just sitting around in Ballarat for 10 days, whatever it was. We actually couldn't come home. So our girls were furious because this was just after New Year's. And again, as we said from the start, some people get COVID from accidental means. Absolutely. No one's arguing that. Um, But multiple WNBL players had gone out over the New Year's break and had posted on their Instagram and whatever other accounts of them out partying over New Year's. And then within X number of days, there was suddenly an outbreak of that club. Now, again, maybe the two things are linked, maybe they're not. But certainly from uh, outside looking in, and we're stuck in Ballarat. We're not not able to fly home. Our girls are pretty ticked. So hence the message to the girls at the time, like, do not be dumb and go out and party and all those kind of things. Go out of your way to not get COVID. Some of you are going to get it accidentally. We understand that. Um, But certainly don't go out of your way to try and get it. And then whatever you do, do not post anything on social media about you being out and fla- flaunting the rules. Because as you've just said, you were able to go onto a camera player's social media account and see what they'd been up to. And now the camera players are complaining that the league's not being fair to them. So it just, hence we just sit back and just, okay, I'm not sure what else we meant to do. The message again was ran home to the girls. Um, you've got another week and a half to try and avoid not getting COVID. And then after that, if you want to go celebrate the grand final win and risk getting it again i can't hold i can't hold you back but for now we've got to last another 10 days or whatever it is so if we have a look back to that last game which does feel like an eternity ago for the dribble podcast mvp votes we went one vote to jackie young for 16 points seven rebounds five assists and a steal two votes to darcy garbin who was outstanding with 16 points eight rebounds and a massive presence and i went three votes to sammy wickham for 20 points and 11 rebounds which has jackie leading on 26 and Sammy closing fast on 22. Like, those two are going to be influential, along with Marina and Lauren and Darcy, in, in this final, in these grand finals, aren't they? Yeah, the two um, – I got asked a similar question yesterday. The um, the two starting fives on both squads are incredible. And as soon as you mention, okay, this player is really important for Perth, it was like, well, so is the next player, and then so is the next player, and then so is the next player. Like, I'm not sure if our starting five 
who's the least or who's the most important. They're all they're all critical. Uh, and as are Melbourne's, it's just it should be a grand final for the ages. Um, it's just two of the best starting fives the league's ever seen. The first time you played them was in January and it was your third game in five days and they were playing their second in almost three weeks after coming through the COVID dramas. Second clash, Australian Opals' absence was, was happening at the time and Marina was injured. Um, so it seems like there's no real form line for you to, to work on. Would that be correct? Oh, 100%. It's something um, again, I get along pretty well with Guy Malloy. Um, it's something we've talked about multiple times, like, we just want to have a Perth-Melbourne series where both teams are fresh and healthy and I don't care if we play three games in Darwin or a thousand games in Tasmania, let's just let us play somewhere. Um, even as this camera stuff was going on, we were joking amongst ourselves that um, like, let's just hire a gym out. Let's <clears throat> let's get the 12 Melbourne players, the 12 Perth players. Let's get three coaches each. Let's, let's leave the refs at home. Let's just play. Um, we've been desperate to play this series for a long time now. Um, and yeah, the, the two games they've played against them, you just literally have thrown it all out almost um, because there's there's nothing that would indicate um, future success based on those two games. So guys, a former Lynx coach, as you said, you two are a good mate. It's it's a unique sort of grand final when you've got coaches who are chatting to each other um, about how excited they are to have the opportunity to play against each other when one of them is going to walk away thrilled and one of them is going to walk away devastated. Yeah, no, he's been, um, as I said this from the start, he's been huge for, our, for my career. Um, he's always really good just to pick up the phone and I had some questions about some stuff he did because his teams were always really original. Um, a lot of teams in this league copy a lot of the Opals playbook and then just pace it and off they go. Whereas guys, Melbourne teams are always very original. He always had a particular offense and a particular defense based on the team he had. And clearly we run different stuff to Melbourne. But there's a very deliberate reason why our offense and our defense looks the way it does, and that's because of Guy Moy um, and that how he got his Melbourne teams up and about, and how I learnt over him, learnt from him the last six years, seven years. So you've loaded up on your starting five in the Canberra game. Um, now that you've got time off and everyone's fresh, which is just unheard of for you, is that mm. going to be a real advantage for you to be able to go with that sort of thing again, given the talent they've got there as well? Yeah, we know they generally play their first five girls 35 minutes each plus. Uh, and obviously, during finals, teams always drastically shorten their rotation. But they've kind of been doing that anyway, just the way their schedule's been. They've generally been playing one game a week for what feels like forever now, whereas we've been playing three and five, four and eight, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been playing 10 and 12 player rotations, and they've been playing six and a half, seven uh, until the games are blown out. So we've got a pretty good idea about how they're going to rotate. Um, obviously, the question mark for us is that we haven't had one game in a week for forever. So we've not had a chance to just load up on our starters and let them play and let them expire physically and then give them four or five days off to freshen up again. So there's a few different ways we can go about it. And this far out, we still haven't settled on our rotations. So the old saying is defence wins championships. We know your team can score like nobody's business. Um, do you think it will be one at the other end or do you think that uh, there might be a chance that we could see a bit of a shootout given the talent on both teams? Yeah, first and foremost, I, mean, I, <laughs> I always hate that statement that defence wins championships because every time a defensive team wins it, everyone runs that line out. And then when an offensive juggernaut like Golden State turns up, everyone just forgets that and suddenly offence is the greatest thing of all time. So... Games certainly slow down in the finals. Certainly, we're going to know everything Melbourne run and Melbourne are going to know everything that we run. So we get that aspect of it. But ultimately, you've got to be able to score. 
um, I think it much more in basketball comes down to um, how many playmakers have you got? How many girls? Because we're going to know everything they run and try and get them out of it. And they're going to do the same to us. So the general argument I've always had with assistant coaches in finals is just find me a bucket. Like they're killing every offensive action we've got. Who can we throw the ball to that can get us a bucket? Um, and we've got three of the best in Sam, Jackie and Marina, obviously. Um, but then again, they've got three or four pretty good ones as well. So who can make timely buckets is going to be huge. Um, and then who, who's who got the best plan, C, D, E, because both plan A, B, they're going to get extinguished pretty quickly, you would have thought. Well, it certainly does promise to be an amazing grand final series. WNBL grand final game one versus the Melbourne Boomers at 2 p.m. Western Standard Time on Saturday, followed by game two in Perth at 7 p.m. the following Wednesday. What's your message to your fans at the moment as they prepare to see this team hope to try to win a championship for the first time in 30 years? Uh, same as last week. If you haven't got, your, I think tickets went on sale this morning, um, and I'm, I, I assume we're back at seventy five percent capacity. Is that yep, right? That's correct. Not? Yep, seventy five percent will be correct. So you would imagine that's going to sell out really quick. So if you haven't got your ticket yet, don't bother messaging me for them on Monday or Tuesday because I'll be gone by then. Uh, I would get in today or tomorrow because I will go pretty quick. Um, and then yeah, hopefully you'll get traded to one of the best grand finals the league's seen in a long time. Because certainly those two starting, like, let alone the two second units on both sides, but the two starting units are just world-class. So it should be a really entertaining series uh, and one that we've been looking forward to for the last six months. Well, good luck. Hopefully things go really well for you. Congratulations again, Coach of the Year. It's been a remarkable uh, performance by both your team and yourself to navigate through these situations. Um, you know, credit to yourselves and hopefully uh, you get the rewards that you have earned. No, I appreciate it, Craig. Thank you as always.